Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, happy new church year as we've lit the first of our Advent candles. We are in that season of Advent where we're both looking forward to celebrating the first coming of the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and yet still also awaiting his return. And the themes during this Advent season are those of politics, persecution, prophecy, prayer, and perseverance. So let's start with politics and persecution. Uh, Not today's world, although there are some similarities as we go on and see that. Paul uh, visited northern Greece, Thessalonica, in uh, 49 AD. So just 16 years after the death, resurrection and ascension of our Lord, he's making several uh, trips around the Mediterranean, around the eastern Mediterranean, and he, is to, he, he arrives in Thessalonica from Philippi. Philippi was the first place that he visited, which uh, now we, we call the European continent. It's just inside Europe. It's in Macedonia. And um, he'd gone to Philippi, and he moves on from Philippi to Thessalonica. And as was his wont, he went into the local synagogue, and he was preaching, first of all, to the Jews. And we read in the Acts of the Apostles that a few of them, not many, um, came to faith in our Lord through his teaching. Um, But a lot of pagans came to faith. We hear a large number of God-fearing Greeks and, he adds in Acts, not a few prominent women. In other words, a lot of women were also came to faith in the Lord through Paul's preaching. So this community of Christians that he has founded is primarily made up of those who have turned away from idols to the true living God. And just a year later, he writes this letter, part of which was read this morning. And he's writing to them because he's heard that there are some persecutions going on, that they're possibly being ostracized by their neighbors, probably most likely being ostracized because they've turned away from idol worship, to the worship of another God, the one true God. Um, Not only that, but surely they have shared that they are awaiting for his return. He's going to come back. We're waiting for his return, and it hasn't happened yet. And so uh, maybe there's some kind of persecution around that. There might even be some martyrdoms taking place. We don't know. But whatever is happening, Paul is really worried about them. He's very, very anxious about them. From Thessalonica, he moved on to Athens and then on to Corinth. And he's been accompanied um, on those journeys by Luke, 
the physician, and by Timothy. And so we hear how much he cares for this community. Hear what he says a little bit earlier in his letter. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Isn't that a wonderful image of a parent, a father and a mother caring for children? This is a community that he loves, that he cares about, and he is so worried about whether or not they're going to stand firm in their faith. And so he says, when we could stand it no longer, can you imagine? He's just come to the end of his rope. He is so anxious and worried about them. When we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, to be left all alone, in other words. So we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. Ten to twelve years later, Luke, who is, as we know, Paul's co-worker who joined him in Philippi, ten years after Paul writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica, Luke writes down his gospel. He writes down both what we know as the Gospel of Luke and Acts. It was a two-part story that he was telling. And he went around. He was not an eyewitness to Jesus, but he learned about that from eyewitnesses afterwards. And he wanted to set out an organized account. So he does this very shortly. So he's writing the Gospel in about 62 AD. And then things start happening around the Roman Empire. It goes crazy. Nero sets Rome on fire and blames the Christians. So now we've got massive persecutions of Christians, martyrdoms. They're burnt like torches. They're torn apart by animals in the arena. How safe do Christians in the Roman Empire feel at this point in time. Not very safe. And then add to that a few years later, there's one emperor after another. There are four in one year. The next one is killed and the next one's murdered and it goes on. Instability going on in the known world. Then the zealots come and they revolt. They bring up a rebellion in Jerusalem and all of Israel. So more Roman troops are sent in. And finally, Jerusalem itself is besieged. 
besieged. And the siege goes on for five months. No water, no food. We hear by from the historian Josephus that cannibalism starts in the walls of Jerusalem. And finally, Vespasian sends his nephew Titus in there. And Titus surrounds them, throws down Jerusalem, murders over a million inhabitants, tens of thousands of whom are crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. The temple is razed to the ground. The only thing that remains, and it remains today, is the western wall, and Jerusalem is overthrown by the Gentiles. It feels like the world's gone crazy to those early Christians. Where is it safe? Is it safe anywhere? But maybe this doesn't take them by surprise. Certainly, if they'd read through what we now know as the 21st chapter in Luke's Gospel, they would know that Jesus had already told them that this would happen. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. There will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be taken away as captives among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. Prophecy fulfilled the vindication of Jesus who said that if they destroy this temple meaning his body because he is the true temple of God divinity itself is within Jesus is who Jesus is fully God fully man I will raise it up on the third day but the physical building the great temple will never be rebuilt Jesus's words to the Sanhedrin, to the chief priests and the Pharisees has come about. It is seen that he is vindicated in what he has said, that he is the Messiah. But we're also living under a prophetic word. We've maybe forgotten that or we can tend to forget about it. Because the prophecy is that the king will return. In fact, that's the sure hope in which we live. When the world starts to seem to us an unsafe place. When it seems like we could be back with the early Christians in the first century. When migrations of our refugees turn the world seemingly upside down and our hearts go out to these people because of the war-torn strife in their own countries and the faces of these children and our hearts just break for these families and these children and whole countries are on the move where it maybe doesn't seem safe but it's not the first time that this has happened 
If we just look back through history, we see that things can turn so quickly. How quickly did the wall come down in Germany? It seemed like we'd had it up for a long time and then all of a sudden it came down. See, this is not new, but there is always hope. Because we live with the sure hope that the king will return. The one thing that we're not to do and we're specifically prohibited from doing is to try and figure out when that's going to be. You can look out there, century after century, people have said there are earthquakes. I wonder if they said that when Herculaneum and Pompeii were covered in ash. Wondered if they said that when Germany, when Nazism was going across the continent. There are always those times. The Lord says it's not for us to know the times of the season, but He says in the Gospel reading today, we've always got to be ready. We've not got to be weighed down. We've not got to lose our faith. We've got to set down those strong pillars of faith in rock so that they're solid that there's a solidity to our faith that is unmoved because we look to the one God who is still at work in this world. And how is he at work in this world? How do we know that he's still at work in this world? Well, Paul says that We know that Christ is at work, that God through Christ is at work, when the community of Christians love each other. And that that love overflows out into the world. Because this was unusual back in that day. I mean, there was stratus of society. There was hierarchy The people who were wealthy, who had power, did not associate with those who did not. But in the Christian communities, they loved each other. It didn't matter about races. It didn't matter whether you were a slave or a free person. It didn't matter what gender you were. It didn't matter. None of that mattered. The only thing that mattered was that we were one in Christ and that Christ's love filled up his body so much that it overflows, which is why Paul says that's what his prayer is. That's his ongoing prayer, that they would love each other more and more, that they would love God and that they would love each other, indeterminate of who they were, where they were, what they did, that love would abound. And that's still true today. There's a community of love. I believe that's true for us. I see that out there. People just getting together, getting things done. Somebody said to me this morning, I've never seen such a busy place. People are just kind of all over the place doing things, but they're doing it in love. 
They love each other. And the overflow of that needs to go out so that there's still the witness out into the world that is dark, that is in need of that kind of love to know that when it seems like the world's gone crazy, God is still sovereign. And he is still working through his people out into the world. Paul was really worried that things out in the world the politics, the persecution, had shaken the faith of his beloved children in Thessalonica. So he'd sent Timothy, and then Timothy came back. He said, Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought such good news about your faith. And brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God Because of you. If Timothy came here and went back to Paul, would he say the same thing? I've been encouraged because of you. I've been truly encouraged because of your faith. Because of your steadfastness. Because in a world seemingly gone crazy, you still hold on to your faith. And your love abounds. I believe he would. I believe Paul would be saying the same thing. I'm so encouraged. I am. I'm so encouraged by all of you. So, if we're tempted to despair in a world seemingly gone crazy with the current political situation around the world, of the persecution that's still going on in so many places, let us remember that such times have happened before and that through prayer and faith, faith and perseverance are strengthened. See, Paul was constantly at prayer. He said, I remember you in my prayers day and night. All day long, I'm thinking and praying about you. See, prayer releases God's spirit into the faith of his people so that it is strengthened. Politics, persecution, prophecy, perseverance. We're to persevere. We're to wait patiently. The Lord has not yet come, but he has promised. And it's two millennia later that we're waiting for him. But as Peter says, a thousand years is a day for God and a day is a thousand years because God lives outside of our time. He doesn't live within this linear time that we live within. He's outside of time. And as we hear in the first story of the first coming, in the fullness of time, he sent the angel Gabriel. So likewise, in the fullness of time, he will return. But through prayer, faith and perseverance will be strengthened. 
We will wait patiently for his return when sin will be no more, when death will be no more. So let's join with Paul in prayer. Focused on God, who is good and who is love. Looking eagerly towards God's future that he has promised and praying in effect for the work of God's Spirit in the present. Bringing before God the whole church, in fact the whole world, so in need of his healing love. May we show forth that love into the world. Amen.